Let's go now to the reading of God's most holy word. Again, we will read all of Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3. And yes, I know we did this last week, but it's important that this passage in its entirety be very familiar to us. Uh, we're going to move through it uh, rather methodically in the weeks to come, highlighting this aspect of it and that, uh, so that we have uh, worked it over quite well by the time we move on to Genesis 2, 4. Genesis 1, 1, hear now the word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth 
and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let us go now to the New Testament reading for today, which comes from Romans chapter 1. I'll read verses 18 through 25. Romans 1, 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse." For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, have you ever asked yourself the question, why is the world as it is? And I am here not thinking of the state or condition of humanity, but I have in mind rather the physical universe. Why is the world, that is the physical universe, as it is? Why this world? Why the sun, the moon, and the stars? Why this planet with this atmosphere? Why these lands and these oceans? Why the mountains, rivers, and trees? Why the world filled with these creatures? Why is the world as it is? I wonder if you've ever thought about that. We just see it as it is and assume that it is as it is because it is as it is. But why? Why like this? Why the world in this way? The atheist will respond to the question uh, by saying, the world as it is as it is by chance. The world is as it is by chance. This world, the atheist says, is the one that happened to work out. This world is the one that simply came to be, and so this is the world that we have. It is by chance that we have this world and that we live in it. I find this answer to be very unsatisfying intellectually and also spiritually. Intellectually, The idea that this world came into existence by chance, by some unguided process of evolution or whatever their theory may be, really doesn't square well at all with the intricacy that we find in the natural world. Uh, This world is very, very complex. Everywhere we look, we see evidence of, of design. Spiritually, I think this answer is unsatisfying because it strips life of all meaning. If indeed the world is as it is by chance, then there is no meaning at all for our Existence. Uh, 
But really, this is the only answer that the atheist can give to the question, why is the world as it is? It is as it is by chance. The atheist must say this. But the Christian will respond to the question, why is the world as it is? By saying, this is how God designed it and made it to be. And this is true, but I want to, in this sermon today, think a little bit more deeply about this. The world is as it is because God designed it to be this way. But why did He design it in this way? Why this world? And first, I would like to begin by asking you the question, tell me, Christian, did God have to create the heavens and the earth? Did He have to do it? Was He compelled or bound or obligated to bring this world into existence? The, the answer is that God did not have to create, but before the creation, there was nothing external to God compelling Him to create. There was no one trying to urge Him to do it. There was no one forcing Him to do it, nor was there anything lacking within Him which moved Him to create. God was not lonely. He was not in need of companionship. There was nothing lacking within God that moved Him to create the world that we now live in, but rather the triune God was completely perfect and totally satisfied within Himself when He determined to create the world as He did. He was driven then only by the good pleasure and counsel of His will. See Ephesians 1, 5, 9, and 11, for example. And then tell me, once God determined to create, could He have made the world different from the one that He made? Have you ever thought of that? Of course He could have. God could have made the world different from the one in which we now live. God is most free. He is all-powerful. He can do whatever He pleases. The only thing impossible for God is for Him to act contrary to His nature. God is most holy. Never can He do evil. God is true. Never can He lie. God is faithful. Never can He, promise, never can he leave a promise of His unfulfilled so God is limited in this respect. He is limited by His own character. But certainly God was, in the beginning, free and capable of making a world different from the one that He made. It's almost hard to imagine what that world might have been like. But spend some time later today and try to imagine it, you know. God was free. And He made this world. Why then this world? And, of course, all Christians will give that answer that was given before. He made this world because... He designed it and made it this way. That's why this world exists. But why did He make it this way? And I think the better and more developed answer to this question is that God made the world this way, one, simply because it pleased Him to do so. We can say that. Why did He make this world? Because He wanted to, is the first answer that we must give. It pleased Him to do so. And two, because this world effectively reveals something of the God who made it. This world that we now live in effectively reveals something of the God who made it. Uh, this is exactly the point that our confession of faith makes when it addresses the subject of creation. I want you to listen to chapter 4 of our confession, paragraph 1, where it says, In the beginning it pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the manifestation of the glory of His eternal power wisdom, and goodness to create or make the world and all things therein, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days, and all very good. This is a wonderful statement concerning what the Bible has to say about creation. Notice a couple of things. First of all, notice that our confession states that the triune God created what He created because it pleased Him to do so. 
He created what he created because it pleased him to do so. And secondly, notice that our confession says that he created the world and all things therein, whether visible or invisible, for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness. And so God was pleased to create all things so that he might manifest his glory within his creation. We should probably pause and ask the question, what is meant by the word manifestation? I actually use that word uh, quite a bit. I don't know that I've ever defined it for you. I suppose that I should. Uh, The word manifest means to display or to show forth something. It describes the process whereby something that is invisible is made visible and apparent. It is made manifest. It is a manifestation now of the invisible thing. If, if I have an idea in my head, you cannot see it, can you? But if I were to write it down, or if I were to draw it, or if I were to build it, then the idea is made manifest. The thing that was once invisible is made visible. And our confession rightly asserts that the invisible heavenly realm, that is the realm that is invisible to us, mind you, but not invisible to God, nor to angels, nor to the souls of the departed saints, but that invisible heavenly realm and the visible earthly realm that we now live in and that we see with our eyes and smell and taste and touch, These realms, heaven and earth, were created by God so that the glory of His eternal power, wisdom, and goodness might be manifest there, that they might be seen. And so tell me, friends, when when did God begin to be infinitely powerful, wise, and good? When did that start? Was it at creation that God began to be these things infinitely powerful? powerful, wise, and good? Um, We would say, no, of course not. God's power, His wisdom, and His goodness are eternal. God has existed from all eternity, and He has been these things. He has possessed these attributes from all eternity. They were without beginning, just as God is without beginning. Uh, So it is with all of the essential attributes of God. God has essential attributes, things about Him that are essential to His nature, and He has possessed those essential attributes for all eternity. He is without beginning nor end, and His attributes are without beginning or end. God simply is. He cannot be divided up into parts. He does not gain qualities or lose them with the passing of time, for He does not change, but is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What then happened at creation? What happened at creation? Did the act of creation bring about a change in God then? Did it change something in God? We would say certainly not. But rather, it is in the creation that God's eternal attributes are now gloriously manifest. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging. But who, who saw God's infinite power, wisdom, and goodness prior to the act of creation? Who saw it? Who beheld it? Only the triune God was aware of the triune God prior to creation. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And why did He do it? He did it for the manifestation of the glory of His eternal power, wisdom, and goodness. He he did it so that He might show forth His glory. 
In the, in the previous sermon, I made the point that the way in which God created revealed truth concerning himself and his relationship to the world that he made. Uh, by considering the process whereby God brought the heavens and earth into existence, we learn uh, that there is a distinction between the Creator and His creation. There is God and there is creation. We see that God is supreme and sovereign over all His creation. We understand Him to be good. We learn that He is relational, covenantal. Certainly, God is to be served and worshipped by His creatures because He is their maker. All of this can be gleaned from the way in which God created. Here I am saying something a little bit different. I'm saying that the creation itself, that is the world that God chose to bring into being, the creation itself reveals truth concerning the Creator. The world which God made reveals something of the glory of the invisible God. When God called the heavenly realm into existence, He did so to manifest His glory there before His angels. Do you remember how the book of Revelation, how in that book, John the Apostle tells us of the visions that he saw of the heavenly realm? They were popping up everywhere. John would see one vision and then another. Sometimes the vision would be centered and fixated upon the earth. Sometimes it would be a heavenly vision. But consider, for example, Revelation 4, 1 through 6. After this, John says, I looked and behold, a door standing open where? In heaven. And what? At once I was in the Spirit, John says, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of, of jasper and carnelian. What is, what is John describing? Uh, what does he see in the heavenly realm except the glory of God made visible, made manifest? It's there being displayed before all of the angels that are in heaven now and the souls of, of the saints who have departed uh, from this world. He's beginning to describe the glory of God that is being manifest in that place. It is radiant, the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. I could have read very many other passages from the book of Revelation, but there John is being shown something of the glory and splendor and majesty of the God who dwells there and has manifest His glory there in that heavenly place. And so see that the heavenly realm was created for the manifestation of the glory of God, the manifestation of the glory of His eternal power, wisdom, and goodness. It's there that God is, is, is showing Himself to the heavenly creatures. Heaven is a realm or dimension where God, who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible without body, parts, or passions. Heaven is that realm where this God manifests or makes visible and apparent His glory to His creatures. And John was shown this glory. Uh, throughout the book of Revelation, he is found laboring to describe the glory of God that he saw where? In heaven. It is confined there. It is intensely displayed there. By the way, I thought I would ask this question at this point. Where is this heavenly and spiritual realm? Have you ever thought about that? Where is it exactly? Where is this heavenly and spiritual realm that we are talking about here? We know where the universe is. We can see it. We know where the earth is. We know where we are. This is where we live. 
But where is the heavenly and spiritual realm? Is it a territory situated just beyond the edge of our ever-expanding universe? Is that where it is? Set off from us? Or is it tucked behind a star somewhere, hidden from our sight so that we might not see it with our telescopes? Is it that? No, this is an invisible realm. Of course, there is some mystery here, I will admit it, but I think it is best to view heaven not as a territory that exists within our universe or one that is set off beyond the edges of our universe, um, but as another dimension that is ever about and before us but is now hidden from our sight. Where is heaven? I think it is here in some respects, but we cannot perceive it. Is it invisible to all of God's creatures? No, the angels see it. God himself sees it, the angels see it, the souls of those who have, been, who have gone to glory, gone to glory, they see it, they bask in the glory of God. It is not invisible entirely, but is it, it is invisible to us. I think it is ever about and before us, but it is hidden from our sight now. I will bring up one passage to illustrate this principle. I think others could be mentioned. But I think it would do us well to remember the story of Elijah and his servant, Elijah and his servant. In in 2 Kings 6.15, we read this. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all about the city. won't say much about the context here, but evidently there was an enemy invasion and the enemy troops snuck up on the city at night. The servant of Elijah goes out and sees that there is this imminent threat. The army has surrounded the city. And the servant said to Elijah, Alas, my master, what shall we do? In other words, we're doomed. But Elijah said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And undoubtedly the servant boy looked around and said, What are you talking about, Elijah? We're doomed. We're outnumbered. We're surrounded. Then Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, Please open his eyes that he may see. His eyes were opened, of course, but open his, what? Spiritual eyes so that he might see spiritual and heavenly realities. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. So here is one example uh, where we see that the, the heavenly realm, the, the spiritual realm, is all about us. It, it surrounds us, but it is typically invisible to us. But here, from time to time in the Holy Scriptures, we see instances where, 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 where either God's people or those who do not belong to God are given a glimpse of that heavenly and spirit, spiritual realm. Do you remember Balaam and his donkey? The donkey wouldn't go any further, and Balaam was frustrated about that. But what did the donkey see? He saw the heavenly and spiritual realm. And eventually Balaam did too. And so, here we see an example of that. I I do not think that heaven is far off. I don't think we should think of it as a different territory, but rather as a different dimension that is all about us and yet is hidden from our sight. From time to time, this heavenly dimension is shown to men. Here in 2 Kings 6, Elijah and his servants saw it. And do you remember what I said in our study of the book of Revelation? How in the end... When Christ returns and everything is brought to its consummate state. How in the end, heaven and earth will become one. When Christ returns, we know that he will establish 
the new heavens and the new earth. When those in Christ die today, their souls go where? To the heavenly realm before God. They enjoy His presence. But at the end of time, those in Christ will be brought bodily and in body and soul into not heaven as a spiritual and invisible realm, but into the new heavens and new earth. This we considered in some detail as we progress through the book of Revelation. The heavenly realm that is invisible to us now where the glory of God is manifest before his elect angels and the souls of those who have died in Christ, and the renewed earth will become one when Christ returns and makes all things new. It is not that God will take the heavenly realm from a far-off place and bring it to the earthly realm and press the two together, you see. But I think it is that the heavenly realm, which is around and about us always, will be made visible in the new heavens and earth, even to us. The glory of God, which is manifest in heaven now, will fill the earth All will be aglow with God's glory. Indeed, we are, as Peter says, waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Um, As we progress in our study of Genesis, we will see that this was God's design from the beginning, that the heavenly realm and the earthly realm be one. God's design from the beginning was that His glory which was made manifest in the heavenly realm from the start, would also fill the earth too. The book of Revelation makes it clear that this was the end goal. Christ, the second Adam, earned this, didn't he? Which proves that this is what was in fact offered to the first Adam through the covenant made with him and symbolized by the tree of life. Should Adam have passed the test by abstaining from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and eating from the tree of life, Adam would have been confirmed in glory. He would have passed from life to life, from paradise to glory. But Adam, as we know, fell short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, as we all have. But Christ, after suffering as He did, in fact, entered into His glory. Luke 24.26. And so what I am saying is that not only did God create the heavenly realm to manifest His glory there, His radiant glory there, but also the earthly realm. The earthly realm was also created for this purpose, to be filled with the glory of God. We will see that Adam's call was to fill the earth, to have dominion over it, to promote the worship and service of God in that place, and to pass that period of probation, however long it was going to be, so that heaven and earth would become one. The book of Revelation, and the end of it makes it plain, that this was God's end goal from the beginning. This was the telos. This was the goal. Adam forfeited it. Christ earned it. Never... Has the earth function, though, according to God's design for it? It has not happened yet. Has there ever been a time where the glory of God has filled the entire earth? Never. The glory of God is manifest in the heavenly realm. The angels and the souls of the departed enjoy Him there. But has the earthly realm ever been filled with the glory of God. I'm talking about in the way that it is described at the very end of the book of Revelation, in Revelation 21 and 22. Has that ever happened? We say no. God's glory has been shown forth upon the earth. For example, the glory of God was shown on Mount Eden. We will learn about that. The glory of God was shown on Mount Sinai for a time. 
And the glory of God was shown on the Mount of Transfiguration with Christ and his disciples there. But these were but isolated foretastes of the glory that is to come. When Christ returns, this glory will fill the earth in fullness. These were isolated foretastes of that glory. When all is made new, God's glory will fill all. Night will be no more, remember. Night will be no more. Those who occupy the new heavens and the new earth will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Revelation 22.5 And so, brothers and sisters, please recognize that God created the world in the beginning so that His glory might be manifest in it, just as it is manifest in the heavenly realm now. And we long for that day, don't we? We long for that day where we will be able to bask in the glory of God and to enjoy Him forever and ever according to God's design. We long for the day when heaven and earth will be filled with the glory of God. But for now, we live in a world that is fallen. We live in a world which has come short of the glory of God. But though it is true that the world has not reached its telos or the end for which it was created, this world does still reveal the glory of God. It does not contain it. It is not filled with it. But it does still reveal the glory of God. God made this world in such a way that it tells of the glory of God. The world, even in its fallen condition, declares the glory of the God who made it. Psalm 19 is a famous psalm. It says this, The heavens... Here it is the starry heavens that are in view. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. What is the psalm saying? Psalm 19 teaches that God has designed the world in such a way so that it declares or reveals His glory, which is hidden from us now, which we do not see with our eyes, typically. Why is the world as it is, we might ask? It is as it is so that it might show forth the glory of God. The world, even now in its fallen condition, manifests something of the glory of God's eternal power, wisdom, and goodness. I'd like to make a few observations from the text of Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3 to prove that this was God's intention from the beginning, that the earth reveal and declare the glory of the God who made it. Uh, Notice that in Genesis 1, 1, a distinction is made between the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. This point has been made before, and so it's repetitious, I know. Uh, Some have referred to this as the upper and lower registers. You have the heavenly realm in the upper register, the earthly realm in the lower register. This distinction is maintained throughout Genesis 1-1 through 2-3. We see there is heaven and there is earth. And given the fall, the distinction between heaven and earth is maintained throughout the rest of Scripture until the two become one in Revelation chapter 21. Throughout the whole Bible, you have heaven and you have earth until we see Revelation 21, which describes the end and the two become one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In 1-2, all attention then goes to the earthly realm or to the lower register. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. But we are told that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. To which realm does the Spirit of God belong, brothers and sisters? To the heavenly realm or to the earthly realm? It's to the heavenly. 
Spirit of God belongs to, to, the, to the heavenly realm. That is God's realm. That is where His glory is manifest. But we see that the Spirit of God is active in creation, bringing about God's purposes where? In the earthly realm, the earthly and the visible realm. Uh, the Spirit is active there, hovering like a bird over uh, this realm. What is He doing? He's ready to create. He's ready to bring life out of death, light out of darkness. And then a word is spoken. God says, let there be. This he says again and again in the days of creation. And answer me this question, where is God when he speaks? Where is this word coming from? It's coming from heaven, from the heavenly realm. And then to every let there be, you probably noticed in the text, there is a corresponding, it was so, it was so. God's word spoken from heaven has an effect upon earth. The two realms, though distinct, they... They correspond to one another. They are interrelated. God is doing something here in the visible realm which corresponds to the heavenly realm. And all of this creative activity being accomplished by the triune God, Father, Word, and Spirit culminates on the seventh day when God finished His work that He had done, we read in Genesis 2.1. He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. God rests, therefore. Where does He rest? He rests in the heavenly realm. It is not that He is inactive now, but it is that He has rested from particularly the work of creation. He sat down, as it were, having accomplished His work of creation as a king would sit upon His throne after building a palace for Himself. This is the image that is given to us here in Genesis 1. 1 through 2, 3. There is heaven and there is earth. The two are distinct, but they correspond. What God said in heaven was accomplished upon the earth. And if we look a bit closer, we see that what was made upon the earth was made to reveal something of the heavenly realities and the God who is enthroned there. I think nowhere is this more obvious than the creation of man who is said to be made in the image of God. Man, when God makes him, is made in the image of God. There is... God in the heavens, and there is man on earth in this realm, in this lower register. But man, we are told, is made in the image of God. Man is like God in some respects. He was made to correspond to Him. When we look at man, therefore, something may be known about the God who made him. Uh, This we're going to consider in much greater detail in the weeks to come, but for now simply see that it is so. God made man in such a way that something of God may be known by looking at him. Man was created in the image of God. Isn't it also interesting that the word heaven is used in this passage to refer both to the spiritual and invisible heaven and also to the heavens that belong to the natural world? Don't you find that interesting? I think it's very deliberate and intentional. Uh, This is actually true in Hebrew, Greek and English, the word heaven in all of those languages can be used to either refer to the heavens, that is the place where the stars reside, or to the heavenly realm where the angels are. Uh, This word is being used to describe both of these realms uh, in this passage. Uh, The word heaven can be used to refer either to the invisible or visible heavens. The same is true of the word hosts. It's the same is true of the word hosts. The word hosts, as it appears in Genesis 2.1, can be used to refer either to the armies of heaven, that is, to the angels who dwell there, or to the sun, moon, and stars, which 
God placed in the sky for us to behold. I think this is very interesting. It's not a coincidence. The heavens above and the sun, moon, and stars that reside there are called heaven and hosts because they were created by God to image the invisible heavenly realm and the hosts that worship and serve God there day and night. They are a visible reminder of the fact that in heaven there are angels and in heaven there is God. And so when you see the sun rise and you feel its heat and as you observe how it makes the plants grow, you are to be reminded of God. That indeed God in heaven, He does all of these things for all of us. He gives us His warmth. He makes things grow. He is the source of all life. When you look up at the starry skies, you are to be reminded of the heavenly hosts who worship and serve God perpetually there. Those heavenly hosts, the visible ones, the stars in the sky, should remind you of the fact that the heavenly and invisible realm is filled with what? Angels who surround God continuously and worship and serve Him there. Uh, These two seem to be most obvious to be man made in the image of God, made to correspond to God somehow, made to reflect something of His glory, and also the physical heavens and hosts being called by the same name as the spiritual heavens and hosts. But many, many other observations could be made concerning how the created world declares the glory of the Lord. The creation of light reveals something of the God who created it, who is Himself light. In Him there is no darkness at all. The mountains, what do they do except lift our eyes up to heaven? The trees function like a kingdom for the birds. They are a place for them to rest just as God is our resting place. So friends, it is not that the universe came uh, to be what it is by chance, And then that God made analogies from the things that happened to be, but rather that God created the world to be analogous from the beginning. God created the world in such a way that that, that it would correspond to the heavenly realm, that it would say something about His glory as it is now manifest in the heavenly realm. The world is filled with things that ought to draw our attention to the God who made us. The heavens reveal the glory of the Lord. Have you ever wondered what it would have been like for Adam and Eve to engage with the created world as they stood in their uprightness, in their righteousness? Have you ever wondered what they would have gotten out of their observation of the created world? The world they lived in was the same as the world that we live in, in terms of its features. They looked up at night, and what did they see? They saw stars. In the morning, the sun rose, just as it does for us. They looked around, and they saw trees. They lived in this world, didn't they? And in their uprightness, in their sinless state, what do you think they got out of all of that? I think they would have appreciated it most fully. They would have looked up at the stars and they would have, they, they would have saw the glory of God there manifest. They would have saw the plants grow in their garden. They would have been immediately reminded of the goodness of God. They would have appreciated it perfectly so. I think they would have gleaned so much from their observation of the created world. In our sin... We do not see the glory of God in the created world that we should. It is not as if it's not there. But in our sin, we twist it all up, don't we? We look at the same world. We see the stars. We see the sun. We see the plants and the mountains and trees. We see the rivers and streams. We see the same world, but we do not think of God as we ought to think of Him. But rather, we tend, according to the Scriptures, to worship that stuff instead. Creation rather than the Creator Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, 
They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were dark. And claiming to be wise, they became fools. And what did they do? They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What does the pagan do? What does the heathen do? What does the natural man in his sin do except look at the world around him and begin to worship it? They live within the world as if this world is ultimate. They see the glory of it, don't they? But they do not give glory to God as they observe the glory of it. And so the Israelites are called out of Egypt. And they're taken into the wilderness and they're given God's word. What did they experience in Egypt? Well, they experienced this culture where men all around them looked up at the sun and they said, look at how glorious that sun is. Look at how it gives life to us. Look at how it causes our plants to grow. And then what did the Egyptians do? They worshipped that thing. The same is true of the Nile River that flowed through their land. They said, what a glorious, wonderful thing this is. And they worshipped it. And what are the people of God being taught to do from the very beginning? A distinction is made between creator and creation. Yes, it is here to reveal the glory of God. Something of God is, there's something glorious about these things. But do not stop and worship the things of the earth, but rather worship the God who made all of these things. In Christ, I do believe that our ability to see the creation aright has been restored. If you are in Christ, if you are not in your sin, dead in your sin, I believe that your ability to see the creation aright has been restored. God, by His grace, has regenerated the Christian by His Word and by His Spirit. And now the Christian is able to look upon the creation and appreciate as it as God intended it to be appreciated, as a world designed to declare the glory of the Lord who made it always. So look around you when you walk in this world. It is not as it is because it happened to be this, but it was designed by God to just forever declare God's glory. And so consider these things. Look up at the stars and be amazed at the immensity of God, His glory, His power. Look at the sun and appreciate its warmth and be reminded of your heavenly Father and the fact that He does give you light and life. Look at these things and be reminded of it. Look around and see how we, we, enjoy, we enjoy the things of this world and they, they are diverse. Uh, they are many and yet we, we group them into categories. And I think there is something being said of the triune God here. We go outside and we say that is a tree and 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 yet they're all different kinds of trees, aren't they? And yet in their diversity they are one. What a profound thing. Or we look out at one another and we say here is humanity and yet male and female there is unity and yet plurality and plurality and yet unity. And this is a reflection of the triune God who made this world. He made the world in such a way so that it would reflect His glory on and on and on we can go giving examples as to how this world declares the glory of God. We must stop here for the sake of time. Uh, brothers and sisters, I do pray that you would appreciate the world as God created it to be appreciated, having been renewed in Christ Jesus. May it prompt you to give Him praise as you look at the world around you. I do pray for those though who do not yet know Christ, that they would be drawn to Christ by His Word and Spirit, that they would stop living in this world as if it is ultimate, but that they would see this world was designed from the beginning to give glory to the God who made it. Worship Him and Him alone. Serve Him and Him alone. Have Him as Lord and not the things of this earth. Let's bow together for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for 
uh, this first chapter of the book of Genesis. Uh, There is so much here to set us straight, and I pray that it would have that effect upon us as your people. May we know your word. May we understand it. May we order our lives according to it. Father, uh, far from just being a tale uh, concerning creation, a myth, uh, here we have true history given to us so that we might live correctly in this world. Lord, give us wisdom now to apply these truths. May we live always for your glory and your glory alone. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.